Hello, welcome to Caregiver's Haven, a podcast helping families who are caregivers of a loved one with a mental illness gain peace of mind. Even though this is a podcast focused on family caregivers of the mentally ill, much of the discussion can be helpful to any caregiver. Your host is Sandra. She is a family caregiver sharing her lived experiences and hopes to provide education, support, and resources to other families. Hey caregivers, how are you today? I hope that you have been taking time to rest and relax and rejuvenate. I am so excited because November is Caregivers Month. And so for the whole month of November, I will be showcasing a caregiver on Caregivers Haven podcast. Every week we'll have a new caregiver to come and share their story with you in hopes to inspire and motivate you to, um, as you go on your caregiving journey. So today we have Jackie Sanchez. Jackie, are you there? Hi, good morning, Sandra. Good morning. How are you today? Very well, thank you. And I hope you are also. I am. I um, may be clearing my throat quite a bit. I have some allergy things going on, but other than that, I'm great. Excellent. So uh, let's get started. Um, why don't we go ahead and you can go ahead and tell our listeners who you are a caregiver for and what they're, uh, what they're struggling with. Okay. I, um, I am a mom of an adult son who has a mental health diagnosis. And today I won't really go into his struggles because we're talking about caregivers. Uh, but know that I, my son um, began with some symptoms um, when he was an adolescent. Okay. So like, in, um, was he high school or junior high school age? It was actually the end of junior high. Okay. So, and, and how old is he now? He is 41. So from, from teenage years to 41, you've been um, caregiving for him and, and helping him along his journey, which means the journey for you has been that long. That's right. And, uh, sometimes it, I, I feel that big, uh, it seems like a really long time, um, but I have always had his best interest at heart and wanted him to be as healthy as possible and as happy as, as he could be. Right, right. And so a lot of times, um, the, as a caregiver, you're, you're giving a lot of yourself um, while you're while you're helping your uh, loved one along and I'm sure that can be tiring sometimes it can be exhausting and I think um you know the things that I didn't know at the time um Mm -hmm. looking back now it would have been a very different journey for me personally had I had more education about what he might be going through um, not knowing that it was mental illness presenting instead of thinking my son was being 
um, disrespectful and a brat and spoiled. Uh, I think prevention and early intervention could have could have changed the course for me. I I became so anxious that I ended up taking uh, medication to help me cope with my anxiety and my fears. Right. And so um, for you listeners out there, I don't know if you know that there's um, there's a st- statistic. I don't have it, it with me exactly what article it comes from, but there's a statistic out there that says, um, and Jackie, you can correct me if I'm not if I'm not saying it correctly, but approximately 70 percent of caregivers go on to have their own mental health challenges because they're not taking care of themselves well when they're as they're taking care of others. It's a very, very um, difficult role, I guess um, you could say. And so we, we really have to be careful as we're as we are caregiving um, to take care of ourselves because of that statistic. That's a huge statistic. Uh, yes, and that's exactly how I remember the statistic from the NAMI family to family class and from what my family advocate would um, share with us when I was going, when I attended family support groups. Uh, oh, I think I started back in 2009 to get myself some help. Mm-hmm. Right. So um, going back to his adolescence, so how long, if he showed symptoms during adolescence, how long was it before um, he actually got a diagnosis? Because you said that you, you thought maybe he was just being, you know, bad or spoiled. How long was it before from the time you saw symptoms until you actually found out he had an actual illness? Uh, it was close to eight years. And I've, I've heard uh, from other Uh, seminars and things that I've uh, taken in my course of being a caregiver and now in my career that sometimes it can be 10 years from the onset of symptoms until the person receives a diagnosis. So that seemed like an uh, reflecting back. It seems like that was a really long period of time to be questioning and stumbling in the dark sort of. Uh, But I've come to understand that my journey was kind of fairly normal, uh, almost routine for people in this situation. Yeah. You know, one of my, um, at some point, I, I've been talking to several people. I am really, really um, for mental health education beginning in high school, not just for the kids, but also for the parents, like during PTA meetings or, or something, because there are so many of us, um, I have the same situation, so many of us who kind of see something going on during high school, and we're, we're like not quite sure, but I just feel like if that education was out there, you know, parents, par- if parents were aware, and even if the kids were aware that we could stop a lot of the prolonged diagnosis and get help for them sooner if we knew what we were looking for you know like I'm a registered nurse and even I didn't know like you know that some of the symptoms that some of the things that I was seeing could possibly be a symptom of mental illness we just don't know and you don't know what you don't know you know what I mean so if if that education was put out there way early I think it would be really really helpful oh I completely agree um not not knowing not only you know that my son had a mental ment- let's say mental illness a brain disease 
but um, not being educated about what mental health, meaning mental wellness, looked like as a young adult. It, if I had had that education, um, it probably could have made a difference in the, you know, the course of our, I, I liken it to uh, going on a river journey. Sometimes there's rapids and we're kind of scared and we're paddling as fast as we can to get out of this crisis. And other times we get to slow down and enjoy the, the scenery along the bends. But it definitely, um, things that are available now that I'm aware of are things like mental health first aid, mental health first aid for children, mental uh, informing teachers and educating uh, faculty you know, the resource officer, the school secretary, um, our counselors about what mental health is and, and what mental illness may look like and present in our youth. Um, I think we'll be a healthier uh, nation and world as these things become more um, accepted and prevalent in our society. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I you know that I'm sure you're aware that um, legislature just passed um, a new, um, I don't remember, I think it might be 988, but there's a new number that you can call instead of calling 911, you can call this number for your loved one if, if, you know, if they're in crises and you need help. And I think the same, like at school, it should be the same thing that if there's someone, if they're educated and there's someone who could be um, having mental health challenges, you know, instead of going to the principal's office and getting in trouble, that there would be a different office that they can go to where they would handle it differently. Um, Absolutely. I, uh, I follow um, UCR on um, Instagram, UCR mm -hmm. Active Minds, and they are offering a lot of resources and they have, um, I think, something that's called The Well. And I really, the name of that just really resonated health and serenity to me um, that you could go to the well and, you know, find your resources and get support. And I think that's awesome. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that with our listeners, Jackie. <laughs> so tell me what was your, at the beginning when all at once, you know, the crisis, the big crisis happened, if that's how he was diagnosed, if a big crisis happened, what was your biggest fear during the beginning of all of this? I think the unknown. Um, what is this? Why is this happening? Uh, what can I do to uh, affect change appropriately? And like you said earlier, not knowing what we don't know uh, was huge for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I totally <laughs> understand that. And what about your biggest frustration at the beginning? It, it kind of, it seems like it was pretty much the same, but was there any other thing that was the cause of big frustration for you? Uh, my big frustration at that time uh, was I didn't know. I, I don't know what my frustration was. I was just blindly trying to lead the my little pack or village or tribe, whatever you want to call it, uh, mm -hmm. to find some answers. And they weren't readily available. Uh, my biggest frustration, I don't have any frustrations now because I've learned to accept that it is what it is. But 
my biggest fear along the way has been that my son um, may be in a place where he does the wrong thing at the wrong time and has an interaction with law enforcement that does not go well. Right. That's, um, I'm sure that that's probably across the line for all of us caregivers of a loved one with a mental illness. That is a very scary, um, very scary situation to, to be in and, you know, just always in the back of your mind. But I think, um, I don't, I know that in our community, a lot of our officers are trained and I'm just hoping across the nation, um, across the world, really, that that will happen more often that our officers are trained on um, how to handle a situation with someone with a mental illness. Um, as we've seen on TV, a lot of them are not trained and they, they handle it totally inappropriately. But, you know, that that's my prayer is that a lot of them will be will become trained and that will lessen all of us um, moms with our fears with that situation. That's a, it's a huge situation. And for me, um, with children who are African-American, it's, it's even more so, you know, that just the wrong person will come right. to help. Absolutely. You know? I was yeah. reading an article, I think yesterday, um, I, it may have come from Treatment Advocacy Center uh, mm-hmm. about the places that are changing the laws in how we respond to calls in the community that are related to mental health. There's an organization in Oregon called CAHOOTS that responds mm-hmm. to mental health crisis calls. And um, oftentimes, and even in Sweden, I don't remember the name of the program, but it is um, a mental health professional, a paramedic, and maybe a peer support that um, respond to the call instead of law enforcement. Well, that's awesome. For, for you listeners out there who don't know what um, when she says peer support, a peer is someone who, someone who also has a mental illness diagnosis, but they've recovered. And so a lot of times, um, of course, they can um, communicate better with the other person because they've been through it themselves. So. Um, peer supports are awesome. Yes, they they can connect where um, a law enforcement officer may not be able to. They can't relate. Right. So, Jackie, I have two quotes that I keep on my bathroom mirror, and I'm gonna I'm gonna read them to you, and I just want you to tell me if they resonate with you at all. Um, the first one says, "Self care is not about self indulgence; it's about self preservation." And that one is from Audre Lorde. And the other one says, rest and self-care are so important. When you take time to replenish your spirit, it allows you to serve others from the overflow. You cannot serve from an empty vessel. And that one is from Eleanor Brown. So tell me, do either of those resonate with you at all? Oh, both of them do uh, completely. Um, uh, The first one said something about um, self-indulgence yeah that self-care is not about self-indulgence right it's about self-preservation right if if we're not practicing self-care then we're going to be I from my experience I'm going to get overwhelmed I'm going to get overly anxious um, you know when a crisis or maybe maybe I perceive that a crisis is looming 
if I'm, if I'm not well rested, I may respond inappropriately or not in the best manner. So I have to take care of myself and, and uh, get my rest in and do the things that bring me some peace and serenity. Yes, I can absolutely relate to both of those quotes. Yeah, so I was I was hoping that you would um, encompass all everything that you just said, because my next question was going to be, how do you practice self-care? But it sounds like you already know how important it is. And the reason I brought those quotes up and wanted to know if you practice self-care is because for as a caregiver, it is of utmost importance that we practice self-care. And self-care means different things to different people. But as, as long as we understand that as caregivers, rest and self-care is so important. It's just like she says, you cannot serve from an empty vessel. And I, um, I, you know, my nickname is the lifetime caregiver because I've been a caregiver for a long time. And, you know, it's funny because a lot of times we are caregivers and we don't even realize that we're a caregiver. Right. And so for me, um, because I was in that role for a long time, I, I did, I was not practicing self-care and I, um, I would just go, 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 go. Sometimes I look back on things I've done and I'm like, how in the world did I even do that? How was I doing that? You know, not getting sleep and um, all of those. Things. But after a while, it takes its toll on you. You know, you can't just keep going. It's just like it says, you cannot serve from an empty vessel. Right. And I kind of equate, equate that to almost like burning the candle at both ends um, before I before I was able to, to stop and, and when I was just moving to, because sitting still didn't feel right. I wanted answers. I needed solutions. Um, and I wasn't practicing self-care. I know that I was overwhelmed. I worked hard. I, my kids were in sports, um, all of those kinds of things in it. And there wasn't any time for self-care. Or I didn't take that time. I didn't know that that's what I needed. And now um, I know better. So if I need to, if I need or feel like I need to just sit and watch movies on a Saturday, I give, I allow myself that grace to, to do that. If I need to go to the beach, I'm good with that. And my latest and greatest um, thing for self-care is to move. So if I'm feeling tense, which um, I don't know about you, but I hold a lot of tension in my shoulders and in my neck. So I get up and I shake it out, literally shake it out and and move my arms and body around. And um, it really is effective. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I do um, hold a lot of tension in my shoulders and neck, and I actually have a lot of pain, you know, after doing that for so many years, I have a lot of pain, um, and yeah, I, I go walking or I shake it out or I do yoga and it, and it helps. And um, I, I've been doing quite a, quite a few things. And uh, the end of November, beginning of December, I will share my story. I, I realized I hadn't shared my story. <laughs> and, and I'll talk about that because um, I, I really was struggling with, with you know, practicing self-care and I think it's just because sometimes we just kind of don't know. We don't know that we need to practice self-care. We don't know that we are um, running ourselves ragged. And, it, you know, my grandmother 
used to always tell me, and of course, now I'm listening to it, but <laughs> when I was younger, I would just, I used to work night shifts, seven at night till seven in the morning, and then I'd come home with the kids, and I'd get two or three hours of sleep, and then go back to work, and my grandmother, um, she would always worry about me, and she said, um, and I go, oh, no, no, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'll sleep on the weekend, and so hmm. she would always say, just because you can doesn't mean you should. So, you know, just because your body is letting you do that, it does not mean you should do that. You know, you, you have to pay attention to rest. And, you know, she she would always fuss at me about that, that I wasn't getting enough rest. And, you know, I get it now, now that I have all my issues. <laughs> right. We're not good at pacing ourselves. We we feel like we have to do this now and we can't fix this problem today. We, we're not going to cure our loved ones. So we practicing self-care and encouraging them to practice self-care is goes a long right. ways for the whole family's recovery. Right. So um, in addition to self-care, how do you get, how or where do you get support? You know, where, where do you get support for you as the caregiver? Oh goodness. That's, that's a really good question. Um, <laughs> because I am a, uh, basically a caregiver in my career now, uh, sometimes I will go to another, uh, uh, lately I have attended an online support group that actually um, comes nationwide. And I, I participated in that because oftentimes if I go to a local support group, everybody knows who I am. So I end up kind of working through the support group. And so it was better for me to go outside of my circle to find support. But it, it was very, um, very enlightening and very supportive for me to do that. So I'm, I plan on doing that more often. Mm -hmm. And so um, you mentioned earlier about um, NAMI. Um, so NAMI Family to Family, did you take that class at... Um... When, at what point in your journey did you take that class? And tell us about that class. Oh, that was a lifesaver. And it was actually my son's um, doctor, his psychiatrist, uh, that suggested that I reach out to the Department of Mental Health uh, locally and encouraged me to reach out to them and to also maybe connect my son with the Department of Vocational Rehab. Um, through contacting the Department of Mental Health locally, I was connected to, quote unquote, my family advocate, and she introduced me to NAMI. And um, I will tell you that the first night that I went to attend a family support group, I went on the wrong night to the wrong place. So that tells you right there that I, I previously was not practicing self-care. I was just on a mission and in a frenzy. Um, mm -hmm. So I called her the next day and I said, hey, nobody was there last night. And she goes, oh, mama, that meeting's next week. And uh, mm -hmm. so that was the beginning of me learning to slow down a little bit, listen, write things down. And I said, okay, I'm ready to take family to family. And she told me, well, you'll have to go on the waiting list. The classes just started. So it's going to be, I think this was like, February. So I had to wait until uh, I waited for the next class to start. And that was in the fall of 2009. And in about 2011 or 12, 
Um, I was helping, uh, I was a resource person for another class. And after being a resource person, I was asked by our uh, president of NAMI Western Riverside if I would um, be interested in becoming a family-to-family facilitator. So in, I think, 2012, I became a facilitator. So I was fortunate enough to take the class several more times as I, as I taught it. I taught back-to-back for, I don't know how long, I don't remember, but it was a wonderful experience. I can remember telling my first class, you know, thank you for letting me do this. This is my first class teaching. And before I came to NAMI, I felt alone and I felt burdened. I felt a a heavy weight on my shoulders due to my son's um, challenge. And, but I learned that, that people love unconditionally. And these families that are taking this class and are getting educated so that they can better support their loved one and help their loved one recover just meant so much to me that I'm moved every time I get in a group of families. Right. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm currently taking a family to family um, with NAMI and it's my second time taking it. And I'm taking it again because the first time I took it, it was when what NAMI calls crisis. I was in crisis. It was during the first year that my loved one um, was diagnosed and so now, I mean, it's been it's been many years, but I'm taking it again just because I want to absorb more. I want to absorb information because I'm I'm learning it in a different way and I'm in a different frame of mind. So I'm hearing it differently. But yes, that class also saved me. You know, as an RN, I'm like I took you know I took I took pharmacology, I took psychiatry, I took all of that in nursing school. I know what's going on, but. When it's your own family member, it's a completely different story. <laughs> so, yes, yes. I, I needed that, like, really bad. And um, and how you said you felt alone, that's one of the things that support groups, for all of you listeners out there, if you are not in a support group, it is so helpful because one of the things, um, there are so many chronic illnesses out there, but the thing about mental illness is that because of the stigma, a lot of people don't talk about it. You know, um, they're uncomfortable talking about it. They may be ashamed talking about it or other people may be critical. And so um, we as caregivers of a loved one with mental illness tend to feel really alone and isolated. And so to go to a support group and talk with other family members who are going through the same thing has been huge in my life. Um, For me also. Yes. Yeah. You just you just feel the love. Right, you do. You feel the love. So, um, as we wrap this up, I would like to ask you: Do you um, are there any lessons learned, or any suggestions, or anything that you um, that you want to say to the listeners out there that may encourage, motivate, or inspire them as they're on their caregiver journey? Um, Caregivers Hayden is, you know, this podcast and Caregivers Haven on Instagram you know, that's my goal is to just motivate and encourage and inspire all the other caregivers out there because, you know, I don't want anyone to feel alone. So do you have anything to say about that? Oh, yes, yes. I would encourage um, 
anybody who has an inkling that their loved one is not doing well to start seeking answers and and go with your your gut our um our instincts are usually good and we just need to find the answers and not not being aware that there was help out there for families in the first place really probably set my son's and my recovery back several years. Um, so dig and ask people, don't be ashamed to, to buy the stigma um, and get yourself educated. The more educate education is power and you can use those tools. There's lots of tools that we can be provided by attending support groups and getting educated about what mental health is. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jackie. It's my pleasure. Thank you. As we wrap this up, um, I, I hope that all of you listeners out there who are caregivers have um, really listened. Um, You know, my goal for you today is that you got some, um, resources out there. You got some lessons learned. Uh, Jackie threw out a, a quite a few nuggets as far as um, different resources that you can reach out to. Um, I, I hope you saw the difference between how she was before and how she was after, how she's um, practicing self-care. And really, really think about what she said, if, especially if you're at the beginning of your journey, to seek answers, get educated. You know, if you think something's wrong with your kid, um, or your loved one, or your even your adult, uh, an, an adult, you know, people are diagnosed during adulthood too. So um, ask questions, get those answers. And please, please, please don't be ashamed. We have to all work together to end the stigma. Mental illness is an illness just like diabetes, hypertension, you know, all the other physical illnesses. It is a disease. It is a brain disease. It is a brain disorder. And we have to stop the stigma. We have to stop the stigma. So please listen and listen to it twice if you have to. Um, Jackie threw out some good nuggets out there. And you are not alone unless in the stigma. So thank you again, Jackie. Thank you for the invitation, Sandra. Um, I have really enjoyed listening to your Caregiver Havens uh, podcast. Um it's part of my self-care routine now. Ah, oh, thank you. That's so nice to hear. That's so nice to hear. All right, guys, thank you for listening. Please hold for some important announcements, and then I'll be right back. Sandra is a registered nurse, and many of her guests are healthcare professionals. However, this is not a professional podcast nor are we associated with any mental health counseling. Please seek help with the professional provider if needed. You can reach Sandra by listening to the podcast on the Anchor app and leaving a message there. Or you can DM her on Instagram at Caregivers Haven. If you enjoyed listening to Caregivers Haven podcast, Please favorite, subscribe, or follow on your listening platform. Okay, guys. Thank you for listening. And until next time, Caregivers Haven is wishing you peace of mind and happy Caregivers Month.